This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Episode 166, submission number 2027, Counter-Strike. Well, Counter-Strike aired for three seasons, primarily in America, on the USA Network from July 1st, 1990 to May 9th of 1993. It ran for three seasons and a total of 66 episodes. Okay, normally we don't talk about shows that last as long as, well, 66 episodes over three seasons. But there's two reasons why we're discussing this. What's the first reason, Greg? Well, the first reason is, sadly, Christopher Plummer, of course, recently passed away. Very sad. One of the all-time legends of cinema. And also the voice of the narrator on the world of David the Gnome. Very sad. Yes. But in the early 1990s, he did a little Canadian television show called Counter-Strike. Yep. And the reason why we're mentioning this show is because one of the co-stars on this show was Simon McCorkendale! Manimal. Thank you, William Conrad. Isn't that wonderful, Mike, to hear that again? Your mileage may vary. Okay, so who or what is Counter-Strike? Well, I guess you could say is Counter-Strike was 24 before 24 was 24. Yeah, that's true. Because it dealt with a uh, privately owned, privately held counterterrorism strike force. Yeah. Hence the name Counter-Strike. By the way, this was like long before the video game Counter-Strike. Like there wasn't a show called Half-Life and they just spun it off into this show. Because that's a joke because the Counter-Strike game is a mod of Half-Life. We get it. So, how did this show come about? Well... You have to ask Alliance Communications Corporation and Grosso Jacobson. Sonny Grosso and Larry Jacobson, because they're the ones who created this show. They're the ones who made this show. So you have to bother them. Yeah. Did we mention this was from Canada? And France. And France. We come from France. E, 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 e. Yeah. So, what was the show about? Well, we kind of mentioned what the show is about. The show is about a counter-strike force team of counter-terrorists. We said it. It was 24 before 24 was 24. And it starred 
in the role of Keeper Sutherland. Well, I, I don't know if it was the role of Keeper Sutherland. All I know is that the story behind this was international industrialist Alexander Addington, played by Christopher Plummer, assembles a clandestine team of troubleshooters after his wife is kidnapped by terrorists. He recruits Peter Sinclair, played by Simon McCorkadale, and Peter Sinclair comes from Scotland Yard to lead the team. Because he's British. Because he's British. And they team up with a con artist and jewelry thief named Nicole Beaumont, played by Sorel Claire, known for a lot of a lot of French language features. But basically it's sort of a you do this and you get to see freedom. You don't do this and you're going to jail sort of situation. Similar to Double Dare eighty five. Or leverage now that I think about it. Which also had a French con artist, but the French con artist was played by Britain Gina Bellman. Hmm. Go figure. And then the third team member is Luke Brenner, an American mercenary played by Stephen Shellen, who is known more mostly for voice acting in the video game Deus Ex Human Revolution. He also played Neil in A River Runs Through It. Okay. And he was also in The Bodyguard. Oh, The Bodyguard, yeah. What a classic. But it is a classic. I love the soundtrack. Oh, who doesn't love the soundtrack? Mike, do you love the soundtrack to The Bodyguard? Yes, who doesn't love The Bodyguard soundtrack? Seriously. Yeah. You know, I love The Bodyguard soundtrack, guys, but you know what? I don't love it as much as... Wings? Oh, you damn right. <laughs> yeah. But there so was I, a cast change in the second season. There is a cast change in the second season. Because Peter and Alexander, they're still on the show. Yeah, they encounter a French reporter named Gabrielle Gourmont, whom they recruit into the team to prevent her from publishing a story about them. Yeah, um, this is basically grown-up Thunderbirds, basically. Something like that. And Gabrielle Grimont uh, is played by Sophie Michaud, who is known for, among other things, the new Zorro. Ooh, the new Zorro! With Duncan Rieger, yeah. Duncan Rieger. Future entry, the new Zorro. In the season's third episode, Peter and Gabrielle rescue... Hector Stone, an American CIA operative and former Navy SEAL whose cover has been blown, and invite him to join the team. And he is played by James Purcell, who has been, oh god, he's been on a lot of things. Stargate SG-1, Smallville, Supernatural. He's, he's kind of reads like a genre at Regenesis. Ooh. Kind of reads like a genre actor. Also, it should be noted the character of Alexander's daughter, Suzanne Addington, who designed the team's computer systems, was also written out of the series at the beginning of the second season. The character appears in one third season episode, although played by a different actress. So in her steed, Alexander gets a secretary slash confidant named Helene Previn. Helene Previn. Oh, yeah, I forget. Yeah. There's uh, the accent marks there. Yeah. 
diacriticals, my friend. Uh, Lawrence Ashley plays uh, Suzanne Addington for the first two seasons. And she's known uh, mostly for, well, being that French woman from that French thing. Okay. In the third season, who plays him in the third season? I guess we'll figure that one out. I guess we'll figure it out as we go along the episode, because it's a long episode. It's guys. a long episode, and we're not we're really not going to waste any time here. But uh, Elan Provence is played by Patricia Cordier, okay. who is known for, if I can do my live research, also being that French lady from that French thing. Okay. And overseeing all of it is a man by the name of Bennett, played by Tom Kneebone, a New Zealander by birth, Canadian cabaret performer and actor by trade, known for the uh, Order of Canada and the Order of Ontario, unfortunately no longer with us. Oh, but you know what? Order of Canada, Order of Ontario, God bless him. Okay. Give me a second, I can get you a couple of credits here. Oh. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, we have um, the original Thomas Farmer from Mr. Rogers. Ooh. We have roles in uh, Kung Fu, The Legend Continues, the Avonlea series, Future Entry Diamonds. Diamonds. Another Canadian import there on the USA Network. Oh, who didn't love all those Canadian imports on the USA Network? Yep. Bumper Stumpers. Jackpot. Check it out. How could you forget that? That's in the hopper for a soonish entry. Okay. So we have all of these people coming together to form an elite force of counter-terrorists. Not unlike Mission Impossible, the TV show before them, or Mission Impossible, the movies, since. Gotta stay yeah. up with the, what the kids are listening to. Alright, so this is 66 episodes long. Let's see how long we can last. If if we're going along, we're going to probably finish this. Because as you know, as you're listening to this on Thursday, so we tape these episodes on a Friday, so it's like uh, we got plenty of days to figure this out. Oh yeah, and you're bringing up one episode guide. I'm bringing up another one that has like casts and whatnot. Yeah, because you're looking on IMDb. Oh, you bet I'm looking at IMDb. Yeah, I got these because all the episodes, by the way, are on YouTube. And the person that uploaded these episodes on YouTube, I don't know where he got these recaps. Because he really took a whole lot of detail on these notes, folks. He did. Oh, yeah. All right, Uh, so let's talk about the first episode. Deal Breaker. A former girlfriend of Peter's gets kidnapped because her husband, an ex-CIA agent, reneged on a deal to supply terrorists with bomb detonators. We're always having trouble with getting bomb detonators. After confronting her husband, Peter and his Counter-Strike teammates try to find the woman. And uh, I believe the woman is played by, and if not played by, but definitely somehow involved, Jill Hennessy. Wow! Crossing Jordan herself. Mm-hmm. Wow. How about that? Jill Hennessy. Okay. Episode two. Dead in the air. 
hours before the naming of a special prosecutor whose job will be to go to Colombia to indict and extradite a certain Colombian drug baron to the U.S. And Addington contacted the U.S. Justice Department, informs Alexander that a small-time drug importer in Washington, D.C. is planning to take down the prosecutor to curry favor with the Colombian drug baron. And it is up to the Counter-Strike team to find out what is in store for the prosecutor and foil these plans. Sinclair also throws in a bonus by way of shutting down the disco establishment owned by the drug importer. A couple of names on this episode are David Hemblin, who plays the big bad on future entry Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future, and Tom Wilkinson. That Tom Wilkinson? That Tom Wilkinson. The Tom Wilkinson who was in the Dark Knight Trilogy. The Tom Wilkinson who was in the Dark Knight Trilogy. Wow. Yeah. That guy. Episode 3. Now and at the hour of our death. The Counter-Strike team protects a priest who is slated to testify about human rights abuses in his native South American country. The priest manages to flee to Boston, but hitmen track him down. By hitmen, we don't mean Bret Hart. No, and we don't mean Peter Tomarkin either. No. You'd think Bret Hart would be on this show because it's from Canada. You know, I think it could have been on Counter-Strike. It would have made a great guest star with Simon McCork and Hale. They could have had some terrific cross-promotion with the WWF with this being on USA Network. Ah, missed opportunity, Counter-Strike producers. Yeah, Jorge Montesi plays Father Vera in this episode. Okay. While Lord Charles Sutcliffe is attempting to return to the Jehovah Triptych, an ancient Christian depiction of the Madonna, to Milos Jensen, the Prime Minister of Jehovah, four masked gunmen show up to steal the item after deactivating the security protocols. Milos calls Alexander an old friend who takes the first flight to London after being stonewalled by the British Home Security. Peter, Nikki, and Luke also head to London, where each uses their contacts to attempt to locate the triptych. Nikki and Luke are able to find the men who stole the triptych and the man who has involved in replicating it. But Peter hits a brick wall with an old associate, Inspector Luther, who is determined to believe that Milos is guilty. Uh, David Hemlin, of course, plays Milos, and Luther, I believe, is the Tom Wilkinson character. Oh, okay. All right. Episode 5, Power Play. President Pawai of Mahal is framed for the murder of an American blonde after he unknowingly drank the drugged champagne and slept with her that very night. Oh boy, you won't believe what happens. And of course, well... Nothing notable for this episode. No, not really. Okay, episode six. Whoa, 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 Wait a minute, whoa, wait, whoa, Mike whoa, found somebody. Mike, whoa, Mike, what, whoa. Mike, 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 what's up, Mike? Uh, yeah, I found somebody. Oh, you found somebody? Who did you find? In this episode, playing General Locktuck is a person named James Saito. Oh, I know who that guy is. Oh, okay, Chico knows who that guy is. He played the Shredder in the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. What? Yeah, that's exactly right. Wow. So he's that guy who took off the mask in Ninja Turtles 1. Now I will finish what I began with your ear. Although I'm going to be quite honest, as far as best Shredder depictions on film go, Kevin Nash and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 as Super Shredder did it best. 
Hey, come on. It's big sexy, Chico. True. It is true. All right. Next episode. Episode six, A Little Purity. An environmental group holds a protest rally outside a factory of a polluting chemical company where a terrorist bomb exploded and the group's slogan was at the scene of the crime. Uh-oh. 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 Yeah, that's uh, no bueno. Yeah. Episode 7. Son with a gun. A desperate Count Biondino calls Alexander for help after his son is arrested on murder charges. Of course, Count Biondino, played by Jean-Pierre Stewart, known for Nighthawks in 1981. Wow, Nighthawks. Nighthawks. Episode 8. The Lady of the Rhine. Helmut Vogler is an ambitious young journalist specializing in horticulture, but when he gets it over his head in Rotterdam, a mysterious older gentleman makes certain that Vogler doesn't make his deadline. Ooh. Yeah, Vogler in this episode, I believe. Yeah, I don't have a I don't have a person for Vogler. Okay. Episode nine, Knights of Arab. Alexander's old friend appears to have committed suicide within hours of requesting an urgent face-to-face. How come all of Alexander's friends commit suicide? I don't know. He must have really terrible friends. They're all dying. Oh. Well, okay. Well, no known entities in this particular episode. Okay. Let's go to episode 10, Extreme Measures. On a visit to his friend's vineyard, Peter Sinclair heard shots being exchanged in the cellar. Apparently, someone tried to kill his friend, Jean-Paul Grenier. Jean-Paul Grenier, played by Serge... Uh, I'm going to butcher this name. Serge Fayard. Sure, that's what we'll go with. And one of the things he is known for is basically a, a lot of French films. Okay. Well, this is a French co-production. Yeah. yeah. You're going to see a lot of French actors in this series, and all of them are very skilled. Okay. Episode 11, Thanos. But it's not that Thanos, oh. since the movie doesn't come out for, like, another, what, 27, 28 years. Yeah. So Ant-Man didn't go up his butt. Ant-Man did not go up against his butt yet. You know, Mike, I still feel ripped. If Avengers Endgame ended with Ant-Man going up Thanos' butt, that would have been the greatest ending to a movie ever, wouldn't it? So, release the butt cut! Can we petition Kevin Feige release the Ant-Man going up Thanos' butt cut of Avengers Endgame? I mean, we've got the Snyder cut of Justice League now. I think it's only right! Put it on Disney+, Plus. I don't give a... T- <laughs> Put the okay. butt cut on Disney+, Plus. I don't give a... T- Okay, in a fa- in a failed attempt by Nikki's friend to leave her husband, an arms dealer, with her two daughters during the family trip to Paris, the daughters have been separated from their parents and are held by a colleague of her husband, who is also a conspirator and plotter against the government of his native country. Ooh, that sounds very CSI-ish. Yeah. Episode 12, Siege. The Counter-Strike team's mission is to rescue the wives of world leaders who are being held hostage in a French chateau by terrorists. While Alexander exchanged light banter with Prime Minister Haddad, 
the October Justice uh, terrorist group disrupted a conference between the top industrialists of the world and leaders of the developing world in Normandy, storming the relatively lightly guarded chateau in which the spouses of the delegates were staying and taking them hostage. Um, uh, of course, a Haddad played by Nabil Massad, but um, aside from that, it's nothing. just a bunch of nothing. Okay. Episode okay. Remember, three. this is season one. We're still trying to figure out what we're doing here. We're halfway through season one, if you can believe that. Episode 13, Escape Route. In an attempt to divert the police from an impending jailbreak, the mastermind of an extinct terrorist organization and the brother of the prisoner nominally resurrect and reinstitute the terrorist group opposed to globalization and capitalism. Yeah, uh, the, the Social Liberation Front is the name of the group. They're killing rich industrialists, and they want a safecracker in a French prison to be released. Nicole, oh. Nikki infiltrates the group. Luke embeds with the safecracker in prison, and Peter plays his lawyer. Oh. That's some leverage crap right there. Any notable names? Karen Strassman, who would go on to play one of the DDAs on Amazon Prime's Bosch. Okay. It's in this one. All right. Also plays uh, voices on Spider-Man Miles Morales. Oh, the video game Spider-Man Miles Morales. Yes. Oh. And is known for playing Rouge the Bat in the uh, Sonic the Hedgehog games. Oh, all right. Episode 14, The Beginning. A terrorist group intercepts Addington's car en route to a party and kidnaps Chantel Addington. The Toronto police quickly set up office at the Addington Toronto's townhouse to track and monitor any ransom demand phone calls that might come in. When Peter Sinclair shows up at the Addington residence, Alexander has evidently telephoned the British Home Security asking for Scotland Yard's best agent in anti-terrorism. Okay, two theories. One, this is a flashback episode of how everything got started. Or two... This is the pilot show airing out of order. Probably. Who knows? Who knows indeed. Next episode. Cry of the Children. Luke's paternal instincts are aroused when a former girlfriend named Zoe shows up with a baby who she claims is his. Soon, Zoe gets shot and the baby disappears. Peter and Nicole uncover a baby smuggling ring in Toronto and go after it. A baby smuggling ring in Toronto? What is going on there in Canada? That's wild, man. All right. That's wild. I'm going to throw a name out, and this is actually an occasional character. Mm -hmm. Uh, Detective Larry Lauren. Uh, He's played by Ron White. Not that Ron White, but uh, this Ron White voiced... Ace Hart on the cartoon in the 90s, Jim Henson's Dog City. Oh, nice. wow. All right. Episode 16, Masks. A former associate of Alexander, Amanda, plans to insert an imposter of him at a conference in order to sabotage an agreement to ban the production of chemicals that could be used to manufacture chemical weapons which Alexander has been working on for the past two years. Apparently, Amanda is also involved in the assassination of George, a Greek legislator and an ardent supporter of this agreement. Unknown to the assassin, 
and his associates. A young gypsy witnessed the murder and has stole away on a freighter to New York, where the conference is taking place. Alexander wants the team to go to New York and find this witness for the authorities to transport him back to Greece, where another friend of Alexander is prepared to guarantee his safety while the local police questions him. Man, Alexander really has a lot of friends. Yeah, and his friend uh, Amanda, played by uh, Patricia Gage, no longer with us, sadly. Alright. Episode 17, Mindbender. Mindbender. Luke is kidnapped, brainwashed, and hypnotized by Russian military intelligence, GRU, to become an assassin. When he returns to his old life, his behavior makes Peter and Nicole suspicious. Can they find out what Luke is up to? Mm -hmm. I don't know either. Episode 18, Regal Connection. After debugging the computer at the Addington Townhouse in New York, a group of Africans kidnap Professor Robert Williams outside his home. Suzanne sends Peter Sinclair to see if Miss Yvonne Williams, after she called twice telling Suzanne that her husband has not come back. After receiving a phone call from the kidnappers, he calls Luke and Nikki to New York to assist in finding Professor Williams. And unknown to anyone initially, there are two factions vying for power in an African tribe because the monarch died from poisoning. The Counter-Strike team has to figure out what is going on and find Robert before he gets hurt. Yeah, Robert, in this particular case, is played by Anthony Sherwood. He does a lot of guest shots on a lot of TV shows, but he plays Mr. Daniels in Honey, and he was Gregory Dayton in 1-800-Missing. Ooh. Episode 19, Cinema Verite. A crime novelist gets murdered. The Counter-Strike team investigates his death by infiltrating a film crew that is filming his screenplay. Oh my god. Yeah, by the way, the uh, victim of the week is a guy by the name of Michael Marlowe, played by Cedric Smith, who uh, is the voice of Professor X. Oh, in the X-Men animated series? In the, yes. Oh, uh, another great animated show with a great theme. Shuki Levy is the, wrote the soundtrack to your childhood, Greg. Oh, hold up. We're talking about maybe future entries for Pilot Month. Let me just see what number we're at right now. Oh, 20, God. He 20, found, did he find something? I found something. Hold on. Yes! Pride of the X-Men. Yeah, where somehow Wolverine speaks with an Australian accent. Huh, foreshadowing. Why? I, oh, I get it, because Hugh Jackman. <laughs> Wolverine's Canadian, y'all. Anyway, episode 20, Baratheon. A very desperate Suzanne calls her father from Union Station in Toronto after her supposed date to a reward ceremony for the Toronto Film Festival. Tommy, who changed her plans at the last minute, is killed just moments after the rendezvous. In a panic, Alexander calls Nikki in the wee hours of the night after trying without success to reach Peter in Chicago on his mobile phone. Well, it's 1991. Mobile phones are probably the size of Zach Morris's cell phone, so I can see why. Which he had turned off earlier. Apparently, those who killed Tommy have now kidnapped Suzanne and are willing to release her in return for a briefcase containing very sensitive documents concerning a miracle drug, which Tommy's company is developing. 
The team soon realizes that Tommy was killed because he knew too much, and Suzanne will remain safe so long as the documents remain undisclosed. Unfortunately, the team has to find the briefcase first before they can bargain for Susie's safe return. Yep. Episode 21, The Millerton Papers. Jason, an old associate of Nicole's, has stolen jewels off of a rich toy manufacturer. He and Nicole are kidnapped by criminals who want the blueprints Jason has unknowingly stolen along with the jewels. And Peter and Luke have to save them. And interestingly enough, the episode takes place in Cleveland, Mike. And I'll tell you right now, I've seen the episode. Interesting how Cleveland looks nothing like Toronto. Well, we both have lakes. Well, that is true. You guys both have lakes. By the way, Jason is paid by Paige Fletcher from Future Entry RoboCop Prime Directives. Oh, my God. In fact, I'm going to put that on the list right now. All right. Well, here's the season one finale. Episode 22, The Dilemma. What started off as an assignment to assist the German authorities in cracking down the numerous bank robberies of East German banks by Western professionals following the reunification of the country turned out to be an attempt to bring an end to a high-level IRA operation. Apparently, before the collapse of the Berlin Wall, the East German government gave refuge to some fairly notorious IRA figures. While in Detroit, Peter spent a very rough night in a warehouse held captive by top-level anti-terror operatives who told him that this would be his and Alexander's only warning and that Addington had gotten too deep and way over his head. Peter heeded the warning and decided to pull out after an ex-party meeting with a top-level home office official who had the permission of the foreign secretary to discuss cabinet-level information. Peter had a very ugly conversation with a very emotional Alexander after Addington found out that some of the characters were connected to the kidnapping of his wife, Chantel. Peter called quits after Alexander failed to heed his warnings, but Luke and Nikki decided to proceed with the mission. Sadly, Peter was right, and he had to come to the rescue after receiving a call from the home office informing him that Luke's cover was blown and that he was as good as dead. This led to a reevaluation of the nature of the Counter Strike team. Ooh. Yeah. It's like, what are we really doing here, guys? So now we know how basically half of the team was written out of the uh, TV show. And it all comes to a head in the second season opener entitled Tie a Yellow Ribbon. First of all, Nicole quits to get married. So, lame. It deals with the fallout and the resulting consequences of the previous installment. Senior IRA figures, that's the Irish Republican Army, quickly realize that Luke Bretter and all of his known associates, namely Peter Sinclair, are involved in the death of one of their most significant members, and as such, revenge becomes their overriding priority. Harvey Went, Peter Sinclair's mentor at Scotland Yard, tells Alexander that he's in Paris and wants a face-to-face meeting to discuss the imminent danger Alexander has placed Peter Sinclair and Luke Brenner in. It quickly becomes obvious to Alexander that both Peter and Luke are the next targets 
of the IRA. Luke is still on the run. He's still recuperating, and he goes on the run with a Vietnam War veteran. So the IRA is after Luke and Peter and a Vietnam War veteran. That's, uh, bro. Episode 24, Hidden Assets. The panicky publisher of a very controversial book calls Alexander, informing him that the author in question has received death threats from various corners. He also mentions that he cannot afford to have anything go wrong now, as the author is writing the last chapter of the book. Sinclair learns that the so-called safe house of the publisher is not so secretive, given the number of people know about it. Peter agrees that he and his freelance associates will guard the author and ensure his whereabouts, and it will remain a secret. Unfortunately, a journalist complicates the matter and further exposes the intended victim to more risks. Of course, the journalist is Gabrielle Germain, who is writing a book, a a tell-all book, about Peter protecting a threatened writer. So uh, we have another sort of okay, join us or I'll make your life a nightmare sort of situation with Gabrielle. Yeah, something like that. Episode 25, Fall from Grace. On a visit to Washington, Senator Fisk, former chief counsel to the Addington Group, tells Alexander that new documents concerning Panama, namely the private files of General Manuel Noriega, former Panamanian dictator that could bring down another U.S. administration, has just surfaced. Fisk says that he wants to pursue an independent investigation into all of this because of his disgust with the sheer amount of coverage that this administration has undertaken. Hector Stone, whose job was to get those documents and deliver it to a Senate committee, believes that he has been double-crossed by his Panamanian contact, by the way, no relation, who intends to sell those documents to the highest bidder, but no one from the U.S. can help Stone. As a result, Fisks approaches Alexander for help. And of course, this is where we meet up with James Purcell joining the cast. And Fisk is played by David Garner, who sadly died last year. But oh. he was in... He was the OCP chairman in the RoboCop TV series. Okay. I guess it makes sense. Never Canadian joint. Episode 26. It's all in the game. After Dr. Kistler calls Alexander about his successful discovery of the formula for cold fusion, someone abducts Kistler and steals all his papers. Alexander finds out in a phone call from the Dean Lawrence Cartwright at City University that the good professor is missing along with most of his papers and that campus security will look into it. Alexander also wants Peter and the team to investigate this matter. Episode 27, Hide and Seek. The Counter-Strike's team mission is to bring back to the U.S. a murderer who takes refuge in Brazil, a country that does not extradite criminals. But Gabrielle develops a sympathy for the alleged murderer while Stone doubts her professionalism. So, uh, we have basically a Stockholm Syndrome situation here. Yeah. I believe one of the people in this episode, I think he's a known entity, Jeff Wincott, who play ooh, Jeff Wincott, he plays a captain on Blue Bloods. Oh, okay. Yeah. Alright. So, so he's go. a bit, so he's a bit of a known entity there. Something like that. All right, episode 28, Native Warriors. 
Alexander learns from news reports that a young Native American by the name of Hawk accuses Al Chemicals of poisoning the land of his reservation in an attempt to kill the Native Americans. And to make matters worse, Hawk has detained a U.S. senator investigating the charges against his will and charged him with murder. And as a result, both Washington and Ottawa have deployed armed federal law enforcement personnel on their own side of the border to surround the reservation until the center is released. I love that both Washington and Ottawa have decided, you know what? We're going to have to call law enforcement on this. We both agreed. You never, it's never rare that you ever hear Washington and Ottawa mentioned in the same sentence. Yeah. And uh, Billy Morasti, very popular First Nations actor in Canada, uh, actually shows up, what, 20 or so years later in It Chapter 2? Oh. As the Shakapiwa man. Oh. All right. Episode 29. Breaking point. One of two ex-CIA officers working for a CIA front company gets killed. While the other team's up with his killer, an arms dealer. The Counter-Strike team must stop them from supplying nuclear weapons components to Pakistan. Oh. Yeah. Because... Yeah, nobody wants that to happen. One of the uh, characters in this episode is played by Wanda Cannon, who plays Jerry O'Connell's mom on My Secret Identity. Oh my goodness. My Secret Identity. Hey, I have to fit Jerry O'Connell in this show somehow, right? Yeah, we have to find some way to work Jerry O'Connell in an episode. Okay, episode 30, Going Home. Alexander decides that the first of his many Nova projects will be in Philadelphia. The Nova project will be clean of any mob involvement and, most importantly, provide affordable housing for low-income families. The Nova project in Philadelphia runs through Stone's old neighborhood. Trouble begins with the unions dissatisfied with the contract and rampages the on-site construction office. Alexander sends the team to sort out the mess and put Nova back on track. After receiving news of what had inspired, Stone tells Peter and Gabrielle that in that part of town, the mob runs the unions, and in turn, the unions control the workers. The mob expects kickbacks and bribes, and Alexander will never agree to such an arrangement, come what may. Hey, wait a minute, guys. This is in Philadelphia and involves the mafia. Hey. The Philly mafia's getting... No, man. No, man. The Philly, the Philly mafia makes... Uh... <laughs> makes... They make, great, they make darn good coffee is what they do. They, they don't darn do good all coffee. this. And they have a great takeout business. Mike, don't you agree they have a great takeout business? Takeout business. Take I figure you do a good takeout business. The takeout business. Yeah, we do a good takeout business. Takeout business. It's funny because they're going to kill you. And it's terribly racist, too. Oh, jeez. Where was Buddy Hackett and Soupy Sales for this episode? I have no idea. They weren't made men in the Philly Mafia yet, I don't think. Next episode, Survival Instinct. The Counter-Strike team goes through the rigors of military training at a boot camp owned by a dismissed colonel who may be training terrorists. Oh, no. Yeah, so it impresses the colonel enough to get hired by him. Ultimately, adding to the size of situation wards... The setting of the team. It's always like the situation is bad. So Alexander's like, all right, time to send the Counter-Strike team. Yep. Okay. 
Episode 32, Night of the Black Moon. After signing a defense contract with Alexander and Raymond Cromwell, the Canadian Minister of National Defense, Charles Hope, receives a phone call informing him that his only child has been kidnapped by Locke, someone Hope has formed a brotherhood with many years ago in darkness. Locke's only interested in the technology that is being used to build Canada's newest missile interception system. Hope privately tells Alexander that he must withdraw from the project, and an alarmed Cromwell, who overheard the conversation, asks Alexander for advice as to how to handle the situation. He also tells Alexander that without this project starting on time, he will lose his seat in the next federal general election. Alexander calms him down with promises to look into it and tells Raymond to keep this story out of the press until some other time. Yeah, a couple of known actors in this episode. First one is, of course, Robert Ito, who plays uh, Dr. Sam Fujiyama on Quincy. And the second is Dennis Akayama, who played Professor Toru Iwatani in Pixels. Oh, yeah, Pixels. Yeah. Well, the one good thing about that movie was Kevin James played the president in that movie, I believe. Oh, yeah. We're just going to ignore Adam Sandler and Peter Dinklage and Josh Gad then. (laughs) No, no. Yeah, because, you know, Kevin James was great in that movie. Almost, it was it was a very Tim Daly Wings esque performance from. Kevin oh, Daly. there's the wings drop. <laughs> hey, Mike, did you know Greg likes wings? I did not know that. Did you know <laughs> it actually made Tony Shalhoub's career? I did not know that. There you go. Episode, Episode thirty-three. <laughs> Fire in the streets. There you go. On a visit to New York with city officials over his low-income house project, Nova, the deputy mayor, asked Alexander whether he would be gracious enough to be photographed at the site of his project with him. While at the same site, Alan Creighton, a local social activist, invites them to tour the condemned building and see the lifestyle of the homeless. The situation turns ugly after the photographer calls the police, accusing Creighton to taking Addington and the deputy mayor hostage. The Counter-Strike team learns of this from a news report and rushes to the scene. Actually, the actor who plays Clayton, Eugene Clark, was last seen in an episode of Transplant. Oh, Transplant. Okay. So he's still working. Oh, that's nice. Okay, halfway home. All right. Episode 34, In the Blood. Gabrielle Chaperone's a teenage female tennis prodigy at an elite tennis academy run by a creepy coach who Gabrielle suspects of being a vampire. Oh my god, what? You heard me. A vampire? A vampire. A vampire tennis coach. Meanwhile, Peter and Stone slowly uncover the truth about the coach. And in the process of the investigation into said coach, the team discovers he's not a vampire per se, but he is into blood doping. Oh, so this episode explains where Alex Guerrero got his inspiration from. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Oh, no. No, 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 no. And, of course, the uh, coach is played by Nicholas Kilbertus, who is known as that guy from that Canadian thing. All right. Episode 35, Village of the Damned. 
an angry Dr. Joseph Severin, a biologist in charge of a World Food Organization project in Ontario, transmits a message resembling that of an insane man after he discovers a crate of liquid pesticide in a warehouse on his experimental farm, which Alexander Addington helped to fund. After Alexander adjourns to a business meeting, Bennett informs Addington of the tape and its contents, which, after listening to it, prompts Alexander to send the team to the experimental farm to investigate. What they discover is something far more sinister, leading them to investigate a man named Schittler. Wait, what? You heard me. His name's Schittler. Schittler? Oh, shit. Whatever. Whatever. I don't even know. Okay. Any notable names in that episode, Chico? The person who plays Dr. Severn is a man by the name of Bernard Behrens, who is in the cult classic Galaxy of Terror. Okay, Galaxy of Terror. I don't know what that is. And the man with two brains. The man with two brains with Steve Martin. Yeah. Uh, That's great, but it's not as great as the Winds of Whoopi. No, No, it is not. All right, so we're up to episode 36 now, prize package. Iraqi intelligence kidnaps an Arab woman in Toronto who knows Saddam's nuclear secrets. The Counter-Strike team finds her in time for her press conference with the Secretary of State, but things are not what they seem to be. Oh, man, wait till they learn that Saddam's nuclear secrets are just like the contents in Al Capone's vault. Yeah, empty. The ladies Ashti Tubby is played by Pamela Sinna, which was last seen on ER as Nurse Amira. And uh, Halloway in this episode is played by uh, Barry Flatman, who is uh, Sarah Polly's daddy in Ramona. Okay, so Ramona. I also want to add that Barry Flatman was on an episode of Hanging In, which is my Canadian wings. It's all of our Canadian wings. No, my there Canadian wings is corner gas. Oh, oh, you well, know, okay, Canadian, yeah. all right. Yo, yo, and yo. I'm not just saying that because Lance Storm was on it. Yo, yo, you know what my Canadian wings is? Kim's Convenience, y'all. Oh, Kim's Convenience, yes. It just dropped on Netflix. I'm going to watch the hell out of it. That guy who's on The Mandalorian? Yes. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. All, all right. right. Episode 37, The Three Tramps. Good night, everybody. (laughs) Gabrielle receives a package containing documents relating to the assassination of JFK from a source, Lenny in Pennsylvania, who was killed within the hour of sending the package. She brings the package to Alexander in hopes of convincing him that it's worth a two-week fishing expedition in Pennsylvania. After government officials track the package... To Gabrielle. Two of them ransack her apartment after she meets with Alexander. During the ensuing struggle, Sinclair and Stone arrive to tell her that Alexander has denied her request. Instead, they find themselves coming in to rescue Gabrielle from her attackers. Alexander believes that the ransacking of Gabrielle's home is directly related to the package she received earlier, and he sends the team to Pennsylvania to investigate Buddy Lightstone and, if possible, clean up this historic mystery. Interestingly enough, the guy who plays Lenny, Frank Moore, still going strong to this day. His last role was in the Murdoch Mysteries with Yannick Bisson. All right, next episode, Behind Bars. 
Gabrielle goes on an archaeological trip with a few of her classmates and Dr. Hans Klein. She's caught trying to smuggle rare coins out of Turkey, which Turkish customs find a couple of those coins in. Yeah. As a result, Turkish authorities detain her on suspicion of smuggling. Alexander finds out from JJ, his pilot. Gabrielle not only fails to arrive in Munich with her expected flight, but is not on any scheduled flights from Turkey to Munich. What? Her partners work toward getting her out of there. By the way, at this point, she realizes that her friend Helga has betrayed her. Oh, no. Yeah. Who would have saw that coming? Uh, I have no idea. All right. And uh, her friend Helga, played by Anush Karenzi, who is known as that German woman from that German thing. Okay. Episode 30. Oh, I don't know how you pronounce this, Chico. You're going to have to help me. Okay. Episode 39 is Cherchez la Femme. Okay. During a morning swim, Noel Bonnier suddenly engages Peter in a 50-meter race. Afterwards, he begins seeing the lady, who stands accused of murdering her husband and stealing the jewels. Unknown to Peter, an American insurance investigator and bounty hunter named Dexter is in Paris, tracking her down and the stolen jewels. At the same time, an outraged Alexander wants a rather distracted Sinclair and the team to investigate into what is going on at his Geneva bank after receiving an outrageous phone call. And apparently auditors have been focused on a few numbered accounts which have seen large sums of money being transferred to relatively small and obscure holding companies around the world. Bank examiners are convinced that something illegal is going on. Possibly the bank is involved in money laundering or a bank employee is embezzling the bank and trying to cover his tracks. Uh-oh. I don't know what's worse. The money laundering or Peter having an affair with the uh, woman accused of murder. Hmm. Eh. Episode 40. Dead Heat. Or The Fisherman. Whatever. It's one of those episodes with with multiple titles. With multiple titles, yes. An unknown assailant murders an Arab guest of a charity event for animal rights organized by Miss Prevan at a public telephone booth at Charles de Gaulle Airport. The assailant successfully penetrates the tight security at the charity event by posing as the murdered Arab guest before anyone realizes what had happened. Alexander not only agrees to finance this charity event, but also invites two Middle Eastern adversaries to the event. Why, man, why? Peter suddenly receives word that the leap from the police is at the front door making inquiries about the security precautions surrounding Mr. Addington's little charity event, only to discover that the assailant, who is better known as the Fisherman, has killed one of the Arab guests and penetrated into the charity event with the intention of killing someone even more important. This sends the team scrambling for answers before the Fisherman strikes again. Episode 41, La Belle Dame Monique. Monique Lamer, a Europool agent, has barely met an informant with information concerning a case involving the counterfeiting of the new single European currency, the euro. Oh, that's right. This is like 1992. The euro is like brand new at this point. I thought the euro wouldn't be uh, a thing for another five years, actually. Well, apparently it started becoming a thing in 1992. 
I guess the European Union watched this episode of um, Counter Strike. Counter Strike. Before someone guns her down, Monique goes to see Stone after she barely escapes from the rendezvous with her life and the briefcase the wounded informant gave her. She shows Stone the counterfeit of the new currency and asks him to take her to Addington, the only member of the committee who can be trusted with this sensitive information. Monique threatens to go public for information, causing a continent-wide financial scandal if Alexander does not help. Alexander has but one choice and calls Peter Sinclair to fix the problem. Of course, because when there's a problem, who do you turn to? Simon McCorkendale. Yo, man, you got to fix this. He can turn into any animal at any time. No, that's another show, Greg. Oh, well, I wish it, he could turn into an animal at any time on this show. I know. Christopher Plummer could call Simon McCorkadale and be like, Yo, man, I need you to fix this. Yeah, I need you to turn into like a snake or something. <laughs> okay, there's like 20 or so episodes after this one. Come yeah, on. there's three more episodes in the second season. We're almost done. Okay. Ripped from the grave, a Jack the Ripper copycat serial killer kills Gabrielle's friend Stefan after a reception at the Romanian embassy. The team tries to find the killer. All the suspects have a Romanian connection, including a sinister colonel. Not Colonel Mustard. No. Okay. Although Peter Sinclair is convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that a copycat is on the loose, Philippe remains very skeptical. That this is just a mere coincidence. This sends Peter jetting across the continent, searching for the first three victims of this copycat killer. Meanwhile, Alexander delays the team's next assignment until this has been cleaned up. Yeah, because Christopher Plummer is not going to take any of this. You're not going to go on to your next mission. You got to clean this case up first. Yeah, you're going to turn into a crocodile, find this killer, and give him what for. Yeah. All right. Two more episodes left in season two. Episode 43, Trigger Finger. Alexander finds out from his old friend, Yuri, that the attack on a French prison bus resulting in the escape of Pechnoff and five other convicts have direct implications on the life of President Bobrilis on the eve of her visit to Paris. Although, in theory, the president is responsible for the nuclear weapons in her country, the Russians are still very much in charge of their security, which has been the main concern for the West, especially the highly mobile tactical nuclear weapons even before the collapse of the Soviet Union. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, the president has a few enemies internally and externally with interest in crushing the budding democratic roots taking hold in Moldova, the threat to her life becomes very real. And to those people, Pechnoff, a rightful heir to the throne, is just a mere figurehead for their cause. As a result, Alexander has made the team available to Yuri, the charge d'affaires of the Moldovian embassy, for the 24-hour visit of the president. Ah. And that leads us to the season finale, The Circus Ring. A police chase results in a van full of dead teenagers abducted by a kidnapping ring. A clue leads the Counter-Strike team to a circus, and Stone and Gabrielle pose as circus employees to catch the culprit. Oh, uh, Peter, could tur- to- yeah. Peter could turn into a lion. <laughs> and Gabrielle could turn into his tamer, am I right? <laughs> and Alexander discovers one of the dead missing children is the daughter of a colleague of Alexander and a senior Addington executive, James. 
who's played by Ross Petty. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Apparently, the three dead missing children were to be delivered to some unsavory third party, and now the kidnappers mm. of those children have to find replacements, as they've already accepted payment. So, Peter and the team have their opportunity to catch the kidnappers in the act. All right. So, that's two seasons down. So, now here we go, the final season. Episode 45, I Remember It Well. Alexander's appraiser discovers the fake replicas of a priceless set of jewels because he arrived late due to the weather. Inspector Meddy tells Alexander and Peter that he suspects that the burglar is none other than Nikki Beaumont because this heist has all of her hallmark signatures. The good inspector reminds Sinclair of their first case together involving six stolen Matisse paintings and gives him 48 hours to investigate. But unknown to anyone, a dangerous French gangster by the name of Godard has hired an old pro, who is Nikki's father and mentor, to do the heist. The old pro, who is busted for the Maltese paintings, and his two mass burglars double-cross Godard by stealing the jewels a day early and flee Paris. Unfortunately, we don't see who is actually playing, not Nikki, so sorry All right. about that. Episode 46, The Sting. Addington's friend, a restaurateur, is in the clutches of a protection racket run by the Purple Gang, a subsidiary of the Mafia. No, this is New York. This is the Purple Shirt Gang from New York. It's not the Philly Mafia, it's the real-ass Mafia. So the Counter-Strike team takes on the mob to set things right. Henri pleads Alexander not to call the police and assures Alexander that this will not happen again. Well, it just so happens that the Counter-Strike team is the team you call when you can't call the police. Am I right? Oh, yeah. Episode 47. Till death do us part. Miss Previn hands a mysterious video to Alexander, which shows Chantel his lost wife holding a newspaper and a mysterious voice telling Alexander to await further instructions part of which include handing over one million dollars in American currency. Peter recognizes the voice as belonging to one Trevor Winston, a criminal who was nabbed by Peter some years earlier, despite all the inconsistencies and implausibilities. Alexander refuses to follow Peter's advice and sends the team to help bring Chantel back to his side, thereby becoming a willing participant of Winston's House of Mirrors. Yep. Uh, Christian Burgess, the actor who plays Trevor Winston, has been in. He, he played the mayor in Gangs of New York, and played Lord Cyril Cleave in MacGyver: The Lost Treasure of Atlantis. Oh, one of the MacGyver TV movies for Richard Dean Anderson. Yep. <clears throat> oh, that's nice. Okay. So, a known entity there. Episode forty-eight, Bastille Day Terror. Yes. An ex-KGB agent and his female partner steal a Soviet nuclear missile and smuggle it into France to deliver it to the buyer. The Counter-Strike team scrambles to find these arms merchants and retrieve the missile. The former KGB agent, uh, her name is Monica Stale, played by... Mike, wake up here. You're going to recognize this name. I'm listening. Brigitte Nielsen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh my god, she has been with all, all the best. Sylvester Stallone, Mark Gastineau, Flava Flav. Uh, Arnold. Oh yeah. 
all the legends. Oh, yeah. Episode. Oh, hold on. I mentioned Mike Park guest, though. Hey, Mike, remember when the one contestant on Match Game Hollywood Squares did the Mark Gastineau sack dance? Jets when he sacks the quarterback and does the thing. Go ahead, give us your gas. Oh, dear God. Oh, my gosh. That was a great episode. Yeah, episode 49. No honor amongst thieves. An old flame of Addington's persuades him to protect her half brother Lemke, a mafiosi whose associates are trying to kill him. Stone plays bodyguard to Lemke while Peter does the legwork. No, Margaret Cullen does not appear in this episode, sadly. Of course, the uh, old blame in this particular case is a lady by the name of Anita Duvalier, his widowed half-sister, or Morris Lamke's widowed half-sister, played by Elkie Summer. Who that be? You don't know who Elkie Summer is? No. Oh my god. Shot in the Dark, the prize, the Oscar. Okay. The Wrecking Crew. Oh, the wreck is that the uh, is that the one movie with um freaking uh, Dean Morton? Yes, yes, because I know that because it was at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes. Sharon Tate was in that. Yes, yeah, because remember that scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where she goes to the movie theater to watch herself in the movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was such a great scene. With, oh yes, with Margot Robbie. Oh, Quentin Tarantino, you're great. Oh, God, that was wonderful. Okay, episode 50, Skin Deep. The police informed a fashion designer that a beautiful star model was found dead. Apparently, Suzanne, an important investor in the fashion house, ran by the designer, went off to her Paris office to help with the numerous media requests and coverage. Alexander wants the team to investigate the murder to make sure that Suzanne had no part in the crime. Peter went to the police station to confer with Felipe. He discovered, to his shocking surprise, the victim died from the removal of her heart. Felipe also told Peter that there were nerve toxins found in the victim's blood, indicating that despite the fact that she was completely immobilized, she was very much aware of what was happening as the butcher took her heart out. Oh! That's not the disturbing thing. You know who played the cadaver of the week? Who? Latoya Jackson. Oh, Latoya Jackson. Well, you know what? You think? You think before the show, Latoya Jackson, and Mr. Peanut went twerking? Oh, I don't know. You have, have, have to ask Conan O'Brien. Please do not ask Conan O'Brien. They said that they was looking to freshen things up for the new year. I says, fine. I'll get out there. I'll do some raps, maybe some break dancing, some popping and locking, some rollerblading. <laughs> You know, maybe I'll twerk with Latoya Jackson. Whatever no, the no, teens no. are into, I'll do no, it. No, no, teens are not into any of that <laughs> you just said. Popping and locking? No, no, no. No one's done that in 50 years. Oh, yikes. Episode 51, The Curse of the Amber Chamber. Strange accidents happen to an archaeological team searching for hidden Nazi loot in Germany's Black Forest. Then Peter and Gabriel get trapped in a Nazi war room while Stone tries to find help. Well, Christopher Plummer does have experience dealing with Nazis. Yeah, 
This is true. Well, let's not forget the greatest gif of all time. Christopher Plummer tearing up that Nazi flag in The Sound of Music. Yes, sir. That's so glorious. Okay, episode 52, Death Seal. Stone receives news that a military transport crashed in Newfoundland, which carried 50 soldiers and its crew, including the elite U.S. Naval SEAL Squad 7, from a training mission in the Middle East. Colonel Jack Devon speaks to the press about the latest act of terror that claims some American lives. Immediately afterwards, Stone calls Peter to inform him that he will not be attending the SAS advanced training session. Instead, he has flown over to Newfoundland to investigate, and in the process, he drags the whole team over. And the actor who plays him is Gordon Pinsett, who uh, is a regular, played uh, Benton Sr. in Due South. Oh, Due South. All right. Episode yep. 53, Cyborg. Hello. A genetically modified East German operative kills a scientist that goes after an official who is about to testify to Congress. Counter-Strike team enlists the operative's twin sister to track her down. Okay. And they're both played by Lisa Howard, a Canadian actress known for playing Patricia in Moonstruck and playing Dr. Ann Lindsay in Highlander. The movie Highlander? The series. Oh, the series Highlander. Yes. Okay. Well, the series was pretty good. The series was awesome. It was awesome. And she also voiced Smurfette in the PlayStation video game. Oh, there's a PlayStation game for the Smurfs? There was a PlayStation game of the Smurfs. Wow. The things you learn on this podcast. Okay. Episode 54, DOA. It is the era of the web. It is the era of DOA. Look at him, Jim Ross. A woman wearing dark sunglasses gunned down Peter Sinclair outside the courthouse where a Libyan terrorist is due to be tried for the bombing of an airplane over Scotland. The dart that hit Peter contained a deadly concoction that will infect his bloodstream and nerve system, resulting in his death within 24 hours. Stone tells Alexander that the trial of the Libyan terrorist and the gunning down of Sinclair is undoubtedly related. The team has to find the scientist and have him replicate the antidote before time runs out on Peter. Luckily, a young woman in the administration sector is able to point Stone and Gabrielle toward Durrett Yesmana, who is Dr. Stanley Ladner's research assistant. Hmm. And I'm guessing Peter got the antidote in time. I'm guessing so. Otherwise, you're not going to have much more of a series after this. By the way, we don't have much more of a series after this. Yeah, we got 11, we got 11 12 more episodes, people. Yeah. The next episode is Cat in the Cradle. A dead DEA agent's son turns to stone for help after he's targeted by a strip club owning informant who worked with his father. Peter and Gabrielle help Stone and the DEA bring down a drug smuggling operation. I want to, I want to think that somebody of great import is in this episode. No. No. Episode 56. Bosnian Connection. Bridget, the former head of the environmental group, Earth Now is in Bosnia at the height of the Bosnian Civil War, investigating into the lost relief shipments of First Line, a charity heavily supported by Alexander. While she has disappeared, Bridget was caught in the crossfire of the warding factions as she tried to get the supplies moving from their city depot. 
Alexander receives a telegram from Bridget, informing him to expect a phone call from her within 48 hours. Otherwise, he should assume she had gone missing. The phone call never materialized, and the press had begun to question the credibility of First Line as a charity. Against the backdrop, Alexander sends Peter and Stone to Bosnia to find Bridget and solve First Line's supply problems. While Gabrielle flies to New York to defuse the public relations crisis at First Line's main office. All right, episode 57, Betrayed. A veteran assassin made an attempt on the life of Julia Devane, an old friend of Alexander's. One evening after Julia had dinner with Alexander. Yeah, all of Alexander's friends wind up dead or somewhere. Anyway, <laughs> shortly after Alexander sends the team to protect Julia and investigate the attempt, unknown to Alexander, Julia's plans to launch a hostile bid for Addington Publishing after Alexander refuses to sell. No. Uh-oh. In the process of protecting Julia, she offers Peter the job of vice president in her company. Alexander finds out that Peter may accept the position from Julia's lawyer, Sam Lever, who is in Paris to deliver the notice of intent to make a hostile takeover of Addington Publishing. By the way, one of the names in this episode, David Eisner. No relation to Michael. No relation to Michael. But apparently uh, some experience with uh, Canadian youths as he was one of the two leads in Hanging In. Oh, man. A lot of references to hanging in this episode. Yep. Okay. Episode 58, clear cut. Ron Waters and Susan Kimberly, a couple of fun-loving environmentalists, find a dead-spotted owl crucified on a tree with a sign carrying a message to Alexander Addington as they spend a beautiful day in the great outdoors. Alexander receives an urgent call from the governor, Jim Donnelly of Maine, telling him that the truce Addington had negotiated between the environmentalists and the loggers had just won up in frames in his election year, and a rather desperate governor proposes to intervene if tensions get worse. But Alexander promises to fix the problem he helped create and calls Peter and the team to rectify the situation as they head to the small town of Manilow to meet up with Sheriff Jack Kimberly. It quickly becomes apparent that the loggers who were due to return to work the next day, but this action suggests to Peter and the team that whoever did this wanted to sabotage that very agreement, or so it appears. Yes. The couple is played by Alex Carter, who is a that guy from that thing, and Tori Higginson, who is known as Dr. Elizabeth Weir in Stargate Atlantis. Stargate Atlantis, the spinoff of SG-1. Yes. Okay. Episode 59, Free to Kill. Dr. Sharon Rain calls Alexander to inform him that Jack Morris has been murdered. The baseball player Jack Morris has been murdered? What? Wait, what? Oh, no, it's another guy named Jack Morris. Okay. Thank God. Apparently, the burglar stabbed Jack 13 times before bleeding without taking a single item. Dr. Rain also tells Alexander that Jack was the third of the four members of the parole board that Alexander and Sharon once served on, and that Alexander is next. Alexander sends the team to investigate these murders and protect Alexander as he plans to attend Jack's funeral. Episode... 60, the hit. Oh, Trevor Winston's back, y'all. Oh, no. Trevor Winston, that dastardly Trevor Winston. Okay. He returns with a new scheme to avenge the defeat Peter handed him the last time round during a getaway weekend in Upper New York State. 
Trevor hires two goons, Vince and Xavier, to kidnap Peter while Peter's date, Yvonne Strait, reports that Peter's gone missing in the nearby lake. Napawan. Alexander Sue gets word of the report to Peter's disappearance and tells Stone and Gabrielle the news of what it, he has only just learned. Missing, presumed dead. Stone and Gabrielle persist in looking for him, though there are no clues. And it seems like the local sheriff, Ray Jenkins, is more caught up with the beautiful Avon than he is with the case. I'm sorry, time out. Time out for a second. Because while I was thinking of getting confused with Jack Morris being, being the baseball player, no. I thought about, remember in the Corner Country episode, how I thought Danny Wells was the person who was killed in the elevator on L.A. Law. Do you remember that part? How could you confuse Danny Wells with Diana Moldar? <laughs> well, it happened, but I was thinking, oh, did Jack Morris fall in that same elevator, too? Uh, next episode, French Twist. An artist gets killed after a party that Gabrielle attends. Police start suspecting her after she tells them she has no memory of what happened at the party. Peter and Stone try to jog her memory. Apparently, Gabrielle finds herself suffering from a total loss of memory. And Gabrielle has to call Alexander to clean this mess up. Yeah, like every episode. Uh-huh. And in in, in a bit role, in a bit role as a secretary, Leslie Kay from As the World Turns. Wow. Leslie Kay. What an Emmy. Come on. All right. Episode 62, The Contender. Not the reality show, The Contender. Jack Roy, a fight promoter, tries to convince Sugar Duke, JJ's younger brother, and a rising star in the boxing world to leave his longtime trainer Vinny for him and his big money before a big fight. While JJ stops by to see his brother in training, he also meets Jack Roy for the first time and is not convinced that Jack Roy really has Sugar Duke's best interest at heart. After JJ drops Vinny home, a couple of assailants mug Vinny. JJ is convinced that Jack Roy is behind the attack and asks Peter and the team to help. Apparently, Jack Roy's gambling interest takes precedent and wants Sugar Duke to throw the fight. He even goes out of his way to make sure that Sugar Duke's girlfriend will take a beating if Sugar Duke fails to. Alexander agrees that the team should help JJ and even throws in some resources to back the scheme up. Oh, by the way, Andre Mayers is uh, the guy that plays JJ. He is a guy from that thing. Cool. And he appears in almost all of the episodes. Uh, oh, we got a big star in episode 63. Oh, yes, we do. The raw truth. Chased by journalists, a senator friend of Addington dies in a car accident while on his way home after Monroe Park, a tabloid journalist and host of The Raw Truth, implicates him in Jeanette Moore's fatal car accident on election night in 1978 after attending his victory party. Park does a piece on the Carmichael accident, implying his drinking problems resulting in the reckless driving that night that caused the fatal accident, killing the senator. And it's up to the team to turn the tables on him. As a result, Alexander orders Peter Sinclair and the team to clear Carmichael's name, put Runro Park out of business, and 
Park decides to do an expose on Addington and the kidnapping of his wife upon hearing the news that Addington is after him. It's the job of the team to beat Park to the proverbial buzzer. And as we said before, this is the big one. And the person who plays Monroe Park, let's just say he was made for this role. Oh, yes. Morton Downey Jr. Morton Downey Jr. Yeah, we Not did an much. episode about his show. Yep. All right, we're down to three episodes, people. Episode 64, Peacemaker. After a supposed IRA bomb took the life of a prominent Protestant leader within the Northern Irish Unionist camp, Ward Eames, the Undersecretary of Affairs of Northern Ireland, orders a team from the British Special Air Service to hijack Addington to London in hopes of convincing him and Sinclair to protect Oliver Montcalm, the new leader of the Unionists, and his family during his trip to North America for secret negotiations with the representatives of the IRA. This task is complicated by the resurfacing of supposedly dead two militants of the Unionist camp in Toronto, whose modus operandi fits perfectly with the means by which the good reverend was killed. Mm. Oh, big name coming. Okay. Episode 65, Muerte. An assassin suffering from a recurring nightmare involving people she had supposedly killed, and her two associates receive orders to kill Bill Caskins, who played by Walker Boone, an industrialist at a large reception. Unfortunately, Peter Sinclair and the Counter-Strike team managed to catch the assassins before they could successfully hit their target, despite getting a couple of shots off and killing a security guard. Both of the associates died in the course of the assignment, and only the primary assassin managed to elude capture. Alexander manages to find out that someone paid Muerte, a murder-for-hire organization, and the Spanish word for death, to kill Caskins, and sends the team to track down the assassin and the people who hired Muerte. Unknown to Alexander or the team, at the same time, Muerte sends the same assassin with a contract on Peter Sinclair, Gabrielle Germain, Hector Stone, and Caskins as an opportunity to redeem herself for the loss of their two operatives. It doesn't take long before Peter and the team discovers that it is a race to save Bill Caskins and their own lives, as well as uncovering the culprit behind the attempt on Bill Caskins. And the assassin is a lady by the name of Sandra. Deprogramming her is not easy. She is played by Vanity. Oh, Vanity. Yeah, Vanity. Oh, man. You know, she was a really good host of a music show back in the day. But then again, her boyfriend was the master. Hi, yeah. Timok. How you doing? Oh, yeah. Last dragon for the win, people. Yeah. She was a nasty girl, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, my. Okay. Here we go. The series finale. Episode 66. Bad Guys. Jeremy Holyfield, a journalist working for an Addington newspaper, tells Chelsea Little, a high-class escort over a drink, that he is about to break a story that will shake the British establishment to the core and in the process level the reputation of a few very well-placed citizens. Unknown to him or the escort, a British agent has placed video and audio bugs in his hotel room as he engages the escort in some kinky sexual activities. Worst, worst episode of Charles Styles Mystery Diners. Ever. 
Alexander finds out from various press reports that one Chelsea Little is the prime suspect in the murder of Jeremy Holyfield in New York the night before he was supposed to fly back to Paris to hand over his latest story, which includes an illegal arms dealings by a son of one former British prime minister. It strikes both Alexander and Helene that this is too much of a coincidence and too convenient for those people. He therefore sends the team to New York after securing their welcome with the mayor to restore Jeremy's reputation and catch the actual murderer. Alexander shows the team the coincidence is compounded by the fact that too many newspaper reports depict the murderer scandalous in an attempt to tarnish and destroy a good man. But this time, Alexander, the team, and the investigating officers may have taken on too much. And playing the role of Jeremy Holyfield, Paige Fletcher is back on this again. And that's Counter-Strike. Yep, not much is known about the development of the series, and not much is known since. But, uh... The show, like we said, aired in three places. It aired on the USA Network in the U.S. It aired on CTV in Canada in almost a six-month delay, if I'm not mistaken. That's weird. This was a Canadian show, but it was on a delay. Yeah, go figure, eh? It was on TF1 in France. Yeah. Hey, hey, guys. Believe it or not, we mentioned the Gemini Award in our last episode. Well, mm-hmm. guess what? James Purcell won a Gemini Award for Best Performance by an Actor in a Continuing Leading Dramatic Role. Yep. The other three particulars, they were only nominated. Yeah, that would be Simon McCorkendale in 1982, Christopher Plummer in 1982, and Sophie Machado in 1984. But reruns have continued on Showcase and TV Tropolis in Canada. And I believe the show has been uh, released on home media, if I'm not mistaken. If they have it, then they have a poster of it. It says, no matter where, no matter when, no matter what the cost. I should note that that is from the second version of the opening narration that Christopher Plummer says before the Counter-Strike theme song, which was used in season two and season three onward. And I'll just play that narration from Christopher Plummer that's on the DVD set that Chico mentioned right here. We must fight evil, no matter where, no matter when, and no matter what the cost. Very underrated show, this Counter-Strike. Yeah, we'll just assume it's on home media or something. I can't, I'm sure it's been released because it's a Canadian show in Canada, so you can probably find it in Canada, I guess. Yeah, but if you're not in Canada like the three of us, uh, somebody has posted all 66 episodes on YouTube. Oh, nice. Yeah. So you get to see all the Simon McPorkadale your heart desires. That's nice. Hey, guys, what do you think we have to say about Counter-Strike? Counter-Strike was basically the best bits of 24, Leverage, and Mission Impossible all rolled into one. And from 1990 to 1993, it was a thing on TV. Yeah, it was. I'm going to add one thing, at least that I noticed from season three compared to the first two seasons. 
Mm-hmm. It seems like they really went for the big guest stars in season three. You didn't hear many big names in season one or two, but season three, what, who did they pull out? You've got Latoya Jackson and Morton Downey Jr. and Vanity, and it, you heard all the names. Just an observation I noticed. USA was trying to hold on to viewers, I'm guessing. Probably. I assume so. Yeah. Well, guys, I got something for you. You had something for us? I got something for you guys. Well, guys, I'm going to say it. Cue the sexy sex music because it's time to play <laughs> Non-Ebay Price is Right. <laughs> Sexy sex music! Okay, guys. I found on a website called Bonanza.com a 1990s Christopher Plummer and Simon McCorkendale on Counter-Strike original photo. And this is from the USA Network. And I'm going to read the bottom of the picture. After his wife is kidnapped by terrorists, a vengeful tycoon played by Christopher Plummer forms an anti-crime strike force in an attempt to find his wife and eradicate injustice worldwide. Simon McCorkendale, James Purcell, and Sophie Bashad star in Counter-Strike. A USA original series. Okay, so you are bidding on the price of the photo. So, price of the photo? Price of the photo. So, Mike, I'm going to start with you. Okay. One thing that's missing, and I'd pay a lot of money for this, is there's no falcon on Simon McCorkendale's arm. I am Aww. disappointed. Yeah. I think in spite of that, it's still probably a good 1999. Okay, 1999, Chico. I'm going to go with 1299. You have both overbid. Seriously? Ooh. Yes. Okay. Mike okay. again. Then we'll go we'll drop it down to 999. 999, Chico. 699. Oh, the price on this. Chico, you were so close. Twelve dollars and sixty-nine cents. Oh, nice, nice. But you know, this was marked down. Do you know what the original price of this was? Seventeen dollars and ninety-nine cents. Twelve dollars and ninety-five cents. <laughs> That's what is- You're saving a quarter by buying this photo. Okay. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Well, that's Counter-Strike. That was just something else. Well, you can always go to our website. It was a thing on TV.com. You can find more episodes. You can find all of our past shows, our live shows, our mini-sodes, our director's cuts. More at the show. More about us. Oh, by the way, guys, I think we got... Oh, we got some more. We got some stuff here because we got the remastered series going on or it was a thing on TV Podbean page. And the latest one that just dropped last Sunday was the chip channel. 
Somebody get this guy a banana. Somebody get Chimp Larry Zabisco a banana. Somebody get me a banana. But also, this week, depending on when you're listening to this, I believe when this episode drops, we will have already released the live show because Pressure Luck Season 3 would have just started on ABC. Yep. And I've said this before, it's like, when the reboot premiered, it's like, I didn't think they could put Pressure Luck in an hour. I didn't think it would work in an hour-long format. Damn it, they made it work in an hour-long format. Yes, yeah. they did. Yes, they did. So we did Season 2 premiere last year, so we're doing Season 3 again this year. And oh, we're, we may be doing another live episode later this week. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no there, there's not, and we may be. There, we, we will. We, I would say we will be. There's a, a very good possibility because on the 29th, uh, which is Saturday, TNT, after its NBA playoff coverage, will be showing a sneak peek episode of The Cube. With Dwayne, with Dwayne Wade. Yep. Yes. So Dwayne Wade that, hosting a game show. This is like all we ever imagined it would be. Yeah. And, and the thing is, we were going to do a live show when the show premiered in June, but we have this little sneaky peeky episode. We'll do it for that. We'll do it for that. Yes, we will. And next week, when you come back and go over the regular stuff with us, we've got a couple of really good ones. The first one involves searching for things that are hidden in plain sight. I guess you could say they're right before your eyes if you can find them. And the second episode, Two Grown Men in a Boat. Two Grown Men in a Boat, brother. And we've talked about this show in the past. We did, brother. Get your hulkaroos and your hulkaroos and your hulkaroos. You two, could you just like hand it to the listeners on a plate, on a platter? A plate? Okay. Wait, a plate? A platter from Pasta Mania? Oh gosh! <laughs> just, just like spoon feed it to our listeners what we're doing next yeah, week. Keep feeding us leads, and we're just gonna keep going with it, Mike. Well, you know I always eat my hulky Ruse, brother. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you something. It's gonna be thunder in paradise. I didn't say all that now, but I will next week on It Was a Thing on TV. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, everyone. Well, Manimal. Cannibal. Bananas, I need you. Real cannibal. Cry havoc and let's slip the dogs of war. <laughs> <laughs>